Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, it's Annie McManus here. Welcome to Changes, a very special revisited version of the podcast for you this week, where we look back at two rather remarkable conversations and bring them to you in a neat Easter package. So this week we are jumping back into one of our most popular episodes ever with Irish comedian Joanne McNally, as well as an early Changes episode with a woman called Susan Herdman, who you won't know but won almost £1.2 million on the lottery and talked to me all about how that changed her life. So first up, phenomenally successful comedian Joanne McNally, also from Dublin like me, is the co-host of the hugely popular podcast My Therapist Ghosted Me with her friend Vogue Williams. She's currently touring her sellout show The Prosecco Express across the world, currently in Australia, back in the UK and Ireland in May to take the podcast on tour with dates all the way through till December. Joanne's popularity stems in her just brutal honesty when it comes to being a woman in her 30s and 40s and she has garnered a huge sprawling fan base of women who find her absolutely hilarious because of her quickness and her wittiness and her dryness and the confessional aspect to what she does as well. She's a godsend for women. And in this episode, she spoke about her upbringing, being adopted, school, her days of feeling lost with what to do, studying and working in PR. She was also completely open about her struggles with bulimia. So we're going to revisit the end of that journey before she got into comedy and where everything changed for her. Joanne McNally. I have to say, like, when I think back, I didn't realise how grim it was at the time. I don't mean to make it sound like it's really it, but it is a difficult thing to get over because you can't get away from food or your body. No, 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 you have, no. You have to look at your body and you have to eat and all those things. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it's you know it's a it was a tough one, but I I did it. I like and I think I include lads in this now as well. But like so many women I know have a t- have it have a touch or have it had very severe totally. or, yeah. or have it and don't even know they have it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you know or, or would have it till till they're old and, yeah and just just say oh i'm just a funny eater or whatever you know yeah. it's kind of like it's all of that isn't it sometimes i even think like i probably get ripped for saying this now when i see young girls and they're vegan i'm like i oh, sometimes i wonder is it just for mm. some of them is it a way of yeah shielding an, yeah shielding ha- an eating disorder yeah, yeah i do and like obviously there are people who are vegan for you know ethical mm. ethical reasons and it's all legitimate but i do but also i think being a young girl now they've much more that all that body positivity like we grew up at the same time there's no such thing as body no, positivity everyone no it was thin was in there was so no you were I was never born thin in enough. 78 so i was a teenager in at the start of the 90s like heroin chic heroin like, chic kate, kate moss, moss. Yeah. all of that like stick 
rake yeah. in. Uh, yeah, juicy couture hanging off your rib cage, yeah. hanging off your thigh bones. It was bone, 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 bone. So, oh God, it was yeah. There was no romance. Like even when I, do you know, like even Lizzo now, and all, you're like, that's so dead. Yeah. Like we never yeah, yeah. had that. Yeah, but you know what, Joanne? Like it's so good that you talk about it in such a like candid way in like in your comedy. Like now, like just to come out and talk about it and vocalize it, it there'll be so many women who are just. It's I'm so sure common. you've had so many messages from people about it. I did. So I, I did a show. So when I was unwell, I was I used to write. I had this anonymous blog called Eat the Pastry. And then a friend of mine sent it to um someone in the Indo. And then I, I got a call in, but it wasn't about, believe me, it was just a call in about whatever was going on. And um, but then a friend of mine, Una McEvitt, who's gone on to kind of direct most of my shows, she was the one who put so basically what happened, how I got into comedy then was mm. so I was at doing this program in Vincent's and um, floating around, nothing to do. And Una was putting on a, she works in the arts, she's a director and she was putting on a play called Singlehood, which was the cast. I think there was nine of us and it was half real people in inverted commas, i.e. people who aren't actors. Actresses or actors, yeah. And then half comics talking about their love lives. And I had been, this is the maddest thing. When I was unwell, I've never had more boyfriends in my life yeah because I always I was like this will fix it now this man you were you were kind of going out trying to find people or were they coming to you like how was it well it's a it was a mix firstly I look back and I was like I kind of find it even just upsetting for men that they're told that that physique is attractive when I was like do you know what I mean yeah yeah but as well when I started the program I was kind of out partying and stuff um uh because there's no food involved in partying yeah, but anyway, they, three months and they'd realize I was deranged and they'd be like, you're Grant. That was it. Every three months. Boom. It's over. Boom. It's over. Like clockwork. Right. And one lad, um, I was got, I'd just been broken up with by this lad and he was bald and I was fuming and I was telling this story about getting broken up with this bald lad, blah, blah, blah. And then Una was like, just tell that story. And so that's I went into single and started telling that story. And then there was another comic who saw it and he was like, I think you should do stand up. And that's kind of how it started. OK, so if I hadn't been unwell. So I w- this would never have happened. So in a way, I wouldn't it's change all, it. It's all kind of led to there. And yeah. So you never had any designs or like desires to do stand-up comedy? No! Had it just not occurred to you? It had never occurred. Yeah. It had never occurred to me. And I was very lucky in that he was very enthusiastic. He was very encouraging. Una was very encouraging. I, I had a lot of people kind of pushing me along into it. Um. Because, I mean, it's a bananas career choice. Who the fuck? You know, and for someone, I had such a normal job. I was in PR, you know. Yeah. There was no Southside women doing comedy that I know. Maybe I'm wrong, but there wasn't. It wasn't really yeah. a thing. Um, Because as I was told, no one will listen to your accent for an hour. Which I was told relentlessly. God. Yeah. But um, so, no, that was a total curveball. I just got really lucky. Really lucky with timing and met the right people and... And then just worked hard at it, you know. Once I realized, oh, I could actually do this. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'd much rather, this feels like me now. I was having to do a lot of therapy on myself, figure out what I wanted. I think the bulimia anorexia was part of an identity crisis that a lot of people, mm. like a lot of people go through that. They're like, who the fuck am I? What do I want? Um, and when I started doing stand up and I was on the road touring and stuff with other comics, I was like, this is what I want. Was there a moment in that in those er- early years where it all clicked and you 
you felt like you actually could make a career out of it as opposed yeah. to just like oh I know I want this but like actually this this is viable like yeah I would have to admit even though sometimes yeah. it's it's not a great side of myself but I'm quite competitive mm. like a healthy amount that's why I had to go back and study for my finals I feel like if I'm gonna do it I need to do it if I'm, I'm gonna put everything I have into it if I'm actually gonna if I've made a decision um, so the comedy was kind of like the sociology. I was like, right, fuck this. This is what I, this is what I'm doing now. So everything goes into this. I basically swapped bulimia for stand up. So you swapped trying to like make yourself smaller <laughs> physically yeah. to like trying to like make your career bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So I just put everything into it. So I just did all the shit gigs. Yeah. I was coming back and forth. I got signed in the UK. I came over here. I was staying in fucking shitholes, cat homes, basically, because I had no money. I was like, I'm just going to make this work now. Wow. This is what I'm doing now. Yeah. And I was lucky in that. Well, when I moved to the UK, I'd no husband. I'd no kids. I could just I've just put everything into comedy and myself, basically. Mm. It's actually a really nice thing to do. And I'm I think even when I started, I used to really struggle with being on my own that much. I was going through a breakup at the time and I was really, I would cry on the trains and it was just, I felt so lonely. But, and I, but I, the only time I wasn't sad was when I was on stage. So, um, but now I'm so mentally robust. My boyfriend's like, can you give me a call or? Like, yeah, so who are you? What's your Yeah, name? I'm like, I've gone completely 180. I am just so comfortable on my own that actually I find it hard to spend time with other people now. <laughs> But I'd much rather this, I'd much rather this version of myself than the previous version of myself because I was a bit totally. of a mess. I was a bit of a mess, to be honest. Yeah. 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 Well, you got through it and it sounds like you had to kind of just like turn the mirror on yourself and really go through a painful process, but to come out stronger and more resilient and more like knowing who you are. I think it takes a fucking long time for people to really know who they are and what they want. A long, and some people can go through their whole life without yeah. knowing what they really want. Big so time. Being forced to do that, as, as awful and painful as it was, it's kind of worked out in a, in a really positive way. And you know what's so interesting? I was kind of the the mess when we were in our 20s, you know, with yeah. my friends and stuff. And they were, seemed to know their shit. They were having, and they were making really sensible decisions. They were getting married and they had long-term boyfriends and all this stuff. But then now some of them are a bit like what I was like in my 20s. They're a bit like, shit, is this it? Did I, right. jump, too, did I jump too quick? Did I make, and I'm glad that I actually, because again, the commitment phobia has, I am a bit of a commitment phobe, that... I'm still I keep saying single I'm not single but like in my brain <laughs> like that I'm you've got the single mind you've got it in your mind that you I'm, are that person, I think yeah. I, I think of a single cell yeah. Do you know what I mean I think of a single <laughs> cell but um I'm glad that I've kind of kept myself respond I've no responsibilities only myself mm-hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm my new boyfriend he's new I have a responsibility to him now of course but yeah. I've no mortgage I've no kids I can travel around Oh my God. And so to all your friends who are married with kids and, and literally like stuck, trapped, that that's like, oh, the idea of having no responsibilities. Yeah. Some of them are yeah. happy out, but some of them are like, I'd love a bit of that. I'd love a yeah. bit of what you have. But if you told me when I was 22, you're still going to be single at 39 with no house, no kids. I would have been like, I would have seen that as a failure. Yeah. But now I actually see it as a win. Goes to show life is not one size fits all, although we are often led to believe that and made to feel like we should reach certain milestones by a certain age. Joanne McNally is a wonderful, shining, hilarious and brilliant example of doing things your way. I would urge you to go and listen back to that full episode if you missed it and go and see her live as well. Just head to joannemcnally.com for all the tickets you need. 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so from one woman changing her life to another whose life changed overnight in 2010, Susan Herdman won £1.2 million on the lottery. Before winning, Susan was a hairdresser who had had some difficult times in her life, including the breakdown of her marriage. There were times she didn't feel she could afford to put the heating on to rewin. She has a new partner and a whole new way of life. Here, we revisit her telling us about the night her life changed forever. I remember cooking tea and hearing Dale Winton's voice in the next room. And he always did the show In It To Win It, which I I love quiz shows. So I thought, oh, so I ran through and I pressed pause without really looking at the screen. So I had no idea what I'd pause, but I just pressed pause. I went back into the kitchen, put my spaghetti carbonara on my plate and I went through to the front room to eat it on my lap. And as I looked up, the numbers were frozen on the screen. And I looked and thought, oh, I've definitely got a couple I think I might have three or four there. I'll check my ticket. So I put my tea down, went and got my ticket. And I literally kept looking. And I, I just thought, Fight, no, there is, six, there is six numbers. So I got right up close to the screen. And I checked it four or five times. And, and then I started shaking. And, and it was, a, I think it was a seven and a half million rollover that night. So I started to shake. And then I thought, no, hang on a minute. Do not get excited because I guarantee this will be the first night ever that they're going to have like 300,000 people have all got the same six numbers. So I then had to ring the number on the back of the ticket. So I misdialed about 20 times. I ended up climbing onto the worktop in the kitchen to get under the spotlight so I could get the number right. And then um, a lady answered and I said, I think I've won the lottery I think she said, read out the barcode. It's all a bit of a blur. Okay. And then she said to me, right, um, keep the ticket, put your name and address on the ticket, keep it safe and write down this password because tomorrow morning somebody's going to ring you from the lottery and they will say that password and then you'll know that they are legit. Right, okay. So I quickly put my name, shaking like this, wrote my name on the ticket and put it inside my bra. Yeah. I thought it's safer in my bra. I couldn't eat anything and it it was still relatively early so I thought what am I going to do now I was home alone so did you know how much you'd won then like no was it confirmed that you had won no (gasps) no nothing I had the six numbers I knew I'd got the six numbers 
um, and I kept looking at, at, oh, I did, sorry, I did ask the lady from the lottery, how much do you think I've won? And she said, we won't be able to tell you that until about 10 o'clock tonight. So I got my calculator out and I was literally doing, I didn't even know how to put in 7.5 million and I was dividing it by 300,000. And so all I kept thinking was, okay, look, if you could get 100,000, that's going to be pretty awesome. If you could get 10,000, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. So I was sort of telling myself this. So anyway, I then decided I'm going to go to the karaoke. I can't stay home all night. It's going to be such a long night. So I still had my ticket inside my bra and I set off up to the karaoke and never told a soul, not a single person. So I went to the karaoke and did not tell a single person. I was there with all my friends and every now and again, I'd go into the ladies, lock the door and literally go, yes, (laughs) just sort of do that and then go back out again. I sang, I had a few drinks. and I, I really want to know what you sang. I like the idea of you singing like, you know, money, money, money or something. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I was looking through the through the karaoke list of who wants to be a millionaire or stuff like that. But I, no, I didn't. I, I don't even know. I probably would have sang the usual karaoke very badly, I might add. I will survive yeah. a bit of grease, you know. Yeah, yeah. Typical karaoke. Yeah. So you were going to the toilet and you were taking out the ticket and just making sure that it was still real. Yes, yes. Kept tucking it back in and yeah. Um, And then I think I got home at about midnight and I went onto my laptop and I saw that five people had won it and it was just short of 1.2 million. Well, that was just, I mean, what do you do? (laughs) Oh, it was, it was from that second... There was no hysterics. There was no running around the room screaming. There was just this big, oh, thank God. Thank you. Just relief, absolute relief that, you know, if I was careful, I'd be okay financially for the rest of my life. Just relief. I wouldn't have to just constantly, constantly be battling against the clock, listening to the phone appointments. Relief, just absolute relief, yeah. So, how did you sleep that night? Not very good, not not very good at all. And I remember, I remember waking up in the morning and thinking... Oh no, I dreamt it. It was a dream. And then sort of coming to and going, no, no, I did I didn't dream it. And then checked for the ticket and and then like this, oh God, this just absolute And and then did you get the call in the morning with the password and, and then I the did. confirmation? I did, but still no confirmation because um it all has to be done official. But you know, I t- had to tell them where I bought the ticket and roughly what time. And then they said that the lottery would be coming to my house. A representative from the lottery would be coming to my house. They they asked me who I banked with. They like us to have a private bank account because if you put all that money in your sort of typical high street current account, you get inundated with offers of investments. So so they said they would bring a sort of private banker. He would come about an hour or so after to sort out all the finances. 
I was still home alone. I hadn't told anyone. I'm still in the house all on my own. And my parents were coming down for lunch. So I phoned my mother at about eight o'clock in the morning. And I said, what time do you think you're coming down? And she said, well, at lunchtime, it's only eight o'clock. And I just said, okay. I said, well, well, don't be too long, you know, because it's a bit lonely. Well, it's only eight o'clock. She said, we'll be there. So it got to nine o'clock and I phoned her again. And um, she said, I said, have you not left yet? She said, it's nine o'clock in the morning. What time are you doing lunch? I said, oh, fine. Don't worry. I'm just a bit lonely. That's all. So anyway, unbeknown to me, she said to my dad, look, we're going to have to go. There's something wrong with her. She's, she's not right. Let's just go. So I think they did actually get to me for about quarter past 10. And my mother walked into the house and I said, where's dad? Oh, he's just gone to get some petrol. And I just went, for goodness sake. And she said, what is wrong with you today? I said, nothing, nothing. Well, I'd got the numbers frozen on the screen in in the lounge. We were in the kitchen. So my dad came in and I said, right, I need you both to sit down. So they both sat down and um, I said, something happened to me last night that's going to be pretty life changing. And they both sort of stared at me. Um, my dad got a bit worried and my mum said, what, what's happened? And I said, I won the lottery. And at that point I burst into floods of tears and my mum, her mouth fell open and she's never speechless. And my dad literally jumped up and grabbed me and said about bloody time. Sorry for swearing, but that's what my dad said. So, um, so yeah, it was, they were the first two people that I told. So it was pretty special wow. time. And you won with your dad's number. Yes, I did. Yes. But he was absolutely, he's such a sweet man. There was never any, he never expected any of the winnings. He never asked for any. He mm. just was so happy, genuinely happy. So that was 10 years ago. Yes. Can you talk me through uh, like what your life is like now? Oh, very, very, very different. Um, I mean, Andrew and I, our relationship was going along really good anyway. We were commuting to see each other. We got on really, really well. And the plan was that I would have to come to live in North Yorkshire if our relationship was going to go anywhere because he had the family farm. So he couldn't up and leave here. So I would have had to sort of give up my salon and then come up here and get a job. Well, obviously, then winning the lottery, it meant that having to get a job was not top of my my priority. But but it's really strange. I mean, you suddenly go from sort of turning your heating down because you're worried about what the gas bill is going to be to, well, actually, let's have the heating up a bit because we can afford to pay the bill now to having all this money in the bank. And it's actually quite terrifying. It, it's your life, your life has changed unbelievably. And so, so I didn't want at that point, the rest of my life to change. My hair salon had been my rock. It had seen me through all my bad times. When I was living the lonely, lonely life, the salon was what kept me going. I didn't want to lose that. It was, it was my anchor in life and I didn't want to give that up. So I carried on working. Obviously I no longer had a mortgage. So that was a massive weight off my shoulders Andrew and I bought a very large motorhome it's a lorry because we're both massive into motorsport 
so you could actually put a car in the back of it and and it was a dream of mine. I'd drive up the motorway, see them and think, oh, if ever I win the lottery, when I win the lottery, I'm going yeah. to buy one of those. Um, so we, we did buy one. Well, Andrew was also doing his motorbikes. So he'd arranged to go to a motorbike event in Austria in the May. And he was going with a couple of mates. And I couldn't go because I had my hair salon and I had clients booked in. I could not let those clients down. Off he went in our new race truck without me, and I was at work. And then in the July, I got to work early in the morning, and I read an article in a magazine about, it was about a late, an English lady that was married to a Spanish guy. Uh, they lived in Spain, and she had an idyllic life. She taught in a school, taught English in a school. They had a little girl that they would... Um, take down to the beach every afternoon and it was a really nice life and then she was struck down with a debilitating illness something like motor neurons where she ended up um, just laying in a bed her brain and her mind were still active but it took her whole body and and then she died and it was just like a light bulb in my head I suddenly thought I'm 40 what am I doing what are you doing you've been given this gift of lottery money you can travel the world if you want to, and yet this salon is still dictating your life, you know. And I felt that I was cheating my granddad, my dad, the dream I'd had to win it. What was the point of winning it if you were not going to change your life? So I rang the local paper, advertised my hair salon. It sold four days later. I did my last day on the 31st of July, and I had no regrets. There was loads of tears from clients. They all wished me well. And then literally the following week, I woke up. And, and for the first time, I actually enjoyed my little house that I bought. And I spent the sort of from the August until the following March commuting up to North Yorkshire, spending a week up here, spending two weeks up here just to sort of see if I liked it. And I, and I loved it. So... In the March, I decided to make the move permanent up here. We've continued to do our car racing with good results, mixed results. and We, we do love our motorsport. Andrew and I have had um, the luxury of doing some absolutely incredible holidays, bucket list stuff. You know, I've kept my house down south, which I've rented out ever since. I bought some property in York that I rented out to get my own money. I've just recently bought a property that I'm doing my first renovation, which is not going to be a success wow. because I can't right. detach myself from a nice kitchen to just a, it's, it's a diff <laughs> difficult one. Uh, yesterday morning, I was up at 4.40. We loaded pigs. So you live on a pig farm now, right? I live on a pig farm. Yes. Wow. Yes. A slightly different hairdressing, but it's, it's a... <laughs> It's a hard life, but it's yeah. it's it's a good life. Yeah, I think once you've been a worker, I don't think you're ever not going to work. I think you need a purpose to get up. Yeah, you know what? What would you do all day if you didn't work? Yeah. You can't have. You know, I, I won nearly one point two million. It's a lovely, lovely amount of money, but it's not movie star money. You know, I can't live like a 
like a celebrity for the rest of my life, traveling here, there and everywhere without replenishing it. Mm. You know, I have to think of my son's future as well, you know. So, I mean, it's very common for people when they win the lottery, 70% of lottery winners go bankrupt within a few years of winning it. Yes. I mean, it it sounds that you have been so sensible with your money and, and kind of measured with, with how you've how you've dealt with it. Do you think that's because of your past and how you've been brought up yes a million percent you know my like I said my parents would instill it into me that you you work for what you want you if you can't afford it you know like when we got married we bought second hand furniture it's it's just how we were brought up but my biggest thing my biggest biggest thing was yes like you I'm very aware that a lot of lottery winners lose it all in quite a short space of time my one thing I kept telling myself was to win it and lose it would be worse than never winning it so yeah I was aware that I had to I had to look after it what a sensible woman Susan Herdman that scene of her going to the karaoke with the winning ticket in her bra makes me laugh so much it's so brilliant she also in the conversation talks about her relationships and how they were affected by the money she won and the problems which money just can't solve so now you know a little bit of what to expect if you ever do win the lottery thank you so much to Susan and thank you for listening to this episode of Changes Revisited if you're intrigued to hear more from either Joanne or Susan do of course go back and listen to the full episodes wherever you get your podcasts and do subscribe to changes while you're there it helps us so much to be seen we release episodes every single monday and we will be back next week easter monday with another episode of changes revisited to go with all that chocolate see you then